Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm Cindy House, the host of the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Um, before we get into talking to Lauren Balthrop, I wanted to share a couple ways that we can stay in touch. The best way to do that is to sign up for our newsletter, which you can do at basicfolk.com. You can also follow us on social media at basicfolkpod. We're also a listener-supported podcast. We rely on small monthly contributions from listeners in order to keep afloat. Um, and you can help out by making a contribution at basicfolk.com slash donate. Basic Focus on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all our episodes there. You can also search on the SiriusXM app for Basic Folk or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Okay, let's talk about Lauren Balthrop. First of all, I was really grateful to talk to Lauren. We've known each other for like 15, 14, 15 years, and this was the first interview that I did for the podcast after our dog died. So I was like very grateful that it was a kind of um, a friendly face that I was talking to uh, in, in Lauren. So that was much appreciated. Also, I love her music and I love her as a person. So let's get into it. Lauren Balthrop's Mobile, Alabama upbringing saw her soaking in the music of the Andrew Sisters, Stephen Sondheim, R.E.M., Elliot Smith, and Neil Young. As a child, she was involved in activities that varied from sports to drama to music and beyond. She never really settled on a passion until she found acting and theater. She pursued that dream from fourth grade until after college, moving to New York to go after auditions and acting parts. She found a soft landing in the city by moving in with her brother, Pascal Balthrop. The two would then go on to form the large band, they actually called it a traveling small town, Balthrop, Alabama. From 2007 to 2012, they toured the country with as many as nine band members taking to the road. In this experience, she met Don Landis and Annie Nero, who she joined up for the harmony-centered trio The Bandana Splits. In 2013, she released a solo album under the name Dear Georgiana, which referred to Georgiana Starlington, the pseudonym she used in Balthrop, Alabama. Everybody went by a character name. She called those, quote, the songs her brother doesn't like, at least not for their band. After that, she wrote a bunch more songs that felt as though they were written in her own voice, which she released under her name as the album This Time Around. Her new solo album continues the sentence, things will be different. You get it? This time around, things 
things will be different. She's exploring the themes of change, upheaval, and heartbreak while looking towards the future with hope. What's also cool for Lauren is that she's finding new meanings in these songs that differ from their original purpose. Lauren is a curious learner who seems like she's always got her antenna up. I love her new record. The lush sounds and humor are hitting me right. It was great to talk to Lauren in this medium. As I mentioned, we've known each other for so long and have instigated many antics over the years. Hope you enjoy. Before we get into it, let's take a listen to a song from Lauren's new album. This is Get Lost, and then we'll talk to Lauren Balthrop on Basic Folk. Lauren Balthrop, thank you so much for being on Basic Folk. Hello. I am just so pleased to be here with you, Cindy House. First and foremost, you're from Mobile, Alabama. That's correct. And from what I hear you say, Jimmy Buffett is also from your hometown and did cheerleading with your parents? That is correct. Do you have any details you can share about this situation? Yeah, my parents... um, Went to high school with Jimmy Buffett at McGill Tulin. Um, it might have even been separated back then because they, you know, they had the boys' school and the girls' school. But they did cheerleading together, my mom and Jimmy Buffett. And then my dad and Jimmy Buffett went to college together and were college roommates. And no my dad played in Jimmy way. Buffett's band. What? So I'm told, you know, this is basic folklore in my family now basic folklore (laughs) i didn't even mean to say that (laughs) hilarious but yeah um and then the story goes that you know my dad got married and had kids and jimmy buffett went to nashville right and now he owns like a retirement community is that right i don't even know yeah and and many margaritavilles so many margaritavilles and it, somebody in his family has another similar type thing in Gulf Shores area, and my brother plays at that all the time. It's like his oh, wow. sister or something like that. But it's basically Jenny Buffett. Like, yeah, Jenny Buffett owns I can't Lulu's. It's called, and it's in Gulf Shores, and it's like a Margaritaville, and has you know, sandy beach and a big outdoor pavilion for eating and there's always live music and there's even a ropes course i can picture it in my mind yeah um all right well that's enough jimmy buffett (laughs) jimmy buffett yeah that's so insane i did not i've known you for such a long time and i did not know um okay 
There was music in your life from an early age. Your parents' taste in music was something like Everly Brothers, the Andrews Sisters, Van Morrison, and of course the show tunes, Sondheim, Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, your siblings were into R.E.M., The Doors, Nirvana, Elliot Smith, Neil Young. Your brothers um, played music. You were actually in a band with your brother, Pascal. Your mom um, did some singing. Um, you were talking about her singing harmony with your aunts. Um, so can you set the scene for what this house looked like and how music was treated in your family? Yes, music in my family was a very social thing. It was, you know, part of family gatherings and always at, you know, church. And I grew up in a Catholic family and I was in the choir. And Oh, fun! My aunt would sometimes lead, and uh, um, we would co-sing the big songs together during Mass. And uh, and then, you know, at Mardi Gras, when the whole family would be together, my mom and my two uh, aunts would sing, like, Andrew sister songs. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a very, in our family, famous video um of my grandparents 50th anniversary and everyone was singing these Andrews sisters songs for them on their 50th anniversary and I was like five and running around in this video I had nothing to do with the musical part of it but I watched that so many times um and it's you know just such a big part of my family story (laughs) that and just every every time we would be together we would sing have sing-alongs and Mm. nobody's a professional musician in my family other than me and my brothers who have all you know pursued it in a more serious way it's always just been sort of a part of the fabric of the family Mm. socially so thinking about that kind of energy of like making music with your family and I know you and Pascal were in Balthrop Alabama for a number of years. What is it like for you or what was it like for you to make music with family versus making music with other non-related musicians? Oh, well, that's a big part of my story too, is that, you know, when I left college, I moved to New York and joined Pascal's band. And I was so excited to do that. And it was all new to me because my experience up to that point with music was strictly doing choir and musical theater and I didn't go to school college for music but it was just sort of part of something I I was always doing I always played I played piano and I taught myself guitar in high school and um and yeah so it took a long time for me to sort of develop musically into my own thing Mm. Because I was, I just joined my brother's band, and we were writing songs together, and a lot of the songs were just his, and I, you know, learn, learn them, and work on the harmonies for them, and then, departing from that, I had the girl group, and that was always a different voice, and so yeah, that's been like such a huge part of my path to now being a solo artist, mm. and having what I feel like is entirely my own voice musically. But it took a long time to like feel that out. Yeah, it's kind of like just making music with Pascal, your brother was like a soft place to land or a soft place to start out. But it it seems like in some ways it just like it didn't um, 
help you evolve musically. So it's cool that you, you know, because you got to get your 10,000 hours, or is it 20,000? 10,000. 10,000. According to Malcolm Gladwell. But like, if you want extra credit, maybe you should do 20,000. Yeah, I'm working on 20,000. On the new album, there is a song called Piece of Shit, and you call it a very vulnerable song about low self-esteem. And I also love it because it is one of those songs where you're like, this song is called Piece of Shit, and people laugh, but it's like actually a very serious song, so good for you. But it is it is a vulnerable song about self-esteem, proving your worth. And this subject interests me in your story, especially um, I listened to uh, a podcast you were on recently about beers. Uh, <laughs> but you were talking about... Oh, you about, listened to that. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Very cool. Um, I will have to credit the podcast later. I cannot think of what it is called. Hops but, and Spirits. Hops and Spirits. Okay, so you were on Hops and Spirits talking about this subject and it and hearing you talk about your experience with like theater where like you were mentioning theater, but you started pursuing acting in the fourth grade. Uh, that's when you started acting and then you kept on doing it and getting more serious about it. You went to college for it. You moved to New York to go after acting, even though you did end up playing music. And you've talked about how you didn't have like the audacity or guts to kind of stand the rejection you faced and the pressure of the auditions. What do you think that experience of acting and that experience of auditions did to your self-worth and how have you been building it back? Yeah, I think so much of my self-worth just comes from being a product of the 80s and a girl in the 80s and 90s and seeing magazines and TV and thinking like this is what I should look like and how I should be and this is how I people will want me and want to have me be part of whatever they're you know doing and acting was a big part of that because growing up doing theater you notice who gets the parts you notice like oh it's that cute girl that's skinnier than me or taller than me or a lot to do with appearance in my mind for some reason I don't know why not talent because they were also very talented and obviously deserving of the roles but that you know just messes with your psyche when you're that young and and then in school whether you're the girl that boys or girls are seeking to be their friend or their girlfriend or whatever and uh I don't know, being the youngest of four and being the last one, like, where not as much care is given, <laughs> you know? Mm. Not not that you're less loved by any means, but the first child is, you know, has a different level of attention given to them. And I think that played out in my, you know, look at me, look at me, anybody listen <laughs> to me, my song and dance childhood. Um of watching Disney movies and then singing them for whoever would be around and say, listen to this, listen to this. Um, So I was always putting on a show and, you know, I've dug into where all of that comes from. Part of it's just being a natural performer and wanting to perform and part of it is, you know, attention seeking, I'm sure, where maybe lack of attention was. (laughs) Mm. 
Um, but as, as in piece of shit, it's, I don't suffer from depression or anxiety for the most part. Um, I mean, I think it's normal for every human to have natural ups and downs. For me, I have like a running line of apathy that comes in waves, um, often comes when I feel overwhelmed and I would rather just lay on the couch and not do anything. And so piece of shit sort of stemmed from the start of the pandemic when everybody was like, what are you doing with your lockdown? What are you going to do during lockdown? I'm going to bake bread. I'm going to write my masterpiece. I'm going to do this. And I I had just come off of a three-week tour, was really tired and just didn't feel like it. I was like, oh, this is a good reason to just not do anything. Mm. And, you know, a couple weeks of that, and you, you're like, I should be doing something. <laughs> right. And so that's sort of where it stems from. And then you feel bad about yourself for feeling bad, and it's a, you know, it's a brutal cycle, the human It mind. is a brutal, brutal cycle. <laughs> um, it's so, so I just got married, and one thing that was, like, really surprising to me is, like, I mean, a wedding is like a big event for like people who love you to like tell you that they love you and tell you why they love you and like just shower you with love all day. And I was like, wow, people, people love me. It's weird and great. I didn't realize it was so great. You know, so it's like, I don't know. And, and hearing about, um, your experiences with like media in the 80s and 90s uh, were about the same age. And it feels like a lot of like projecting, like here's what it means to like be an attractive lady. And you definitely want to be an attractive lady because you know, you don't want to be alone and die alone. And now like, I feel like that message is kind of like hyped up even more on social media, not to like get into a crazy discussion about social media, but it's just like, not super helpful and anything anyone can do to like get themselves away from it you should do it that's what i think totally social media is the new um comparison is the thief of joy social media is the thief of joy (laughs) well because i feel like i've talked to a lot of people about uh like a lot of musicians for the podcast about like the start of the pandemic and everyone's like, I'm writing it, I'm taking the time to write an album. And then their perspective is like, well, I don't want to do any of that, you know, but it's like everybody's putting forth like their best version of themselves mm-hmm. or their quote unquote, their best versions of themselves, like being productive and being creative and stuff. And it, I feel like the reality of the situation is like nobody wanted to do anything mm-hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic because we're all probably just like paralyzed with fear scare yeah so a lot of people were probably putting on airs of you know trying to appear like they were doing yeah because nobody wants to be like vulnerable on social media in that way in saying that you are scared and it's also Mm -hmm. like i think it's also really hard to be vulnerable on social media and have it come off authentically it's easier to be vulnerable like in person i would say it's like less, it feels less fake. Anyways, I just went on a tirade. Let's get back to the interview with Lauren Balter Pierre on Basic Folk. <laughs> I loved that moment. My tirade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Lauren, also with acting, 
I'm wondering how your experience in theater impacts your musicality. Yeah, for a long time, I, I definitely wrote more songs that were, especially when writing for the Bandana Splits, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, all of it was like the combination of all of my love of music theater, old girl groups, and like pop tunes all in one and in three-part harmony and writing for that project was so different and like I mentioned like the evolution of my songwriting like writing for Balthrop and then like my first solo project album I always said these are songs that my brother doesn't like (laughs) and I would joke about (laughs) I would joke about that on stage um because he was who I showed all my songs to and I still do but now like I really feel like I have a voice in songwriting um, that is entirely my own and my own experience. And I feel like I'm getting off topic too, but um, <laughs> from acting, yeah, I've, I've always been a performer, so that definitely comes out in my vocal um, ability. And I, you know, that's probably my biggest musical training was I did like 10 years of voice lessons growing up through various teachers and so I'm very trained on in my voice and then guitar and piano and um, other instruments all sort of came slowly thereafter and I'm still learning Um, Mm. I, I hope I'm a life learner I actually have a question that is perfect for this moment right now. So you play a lot of different instruments and growing up, you did a lot of different activities, theater, sports, music. What is it like for you when you approach a new instrument and what is the learning process like for you in terms of like music or otherwise? Yeah, it's been, you know, I I feel like I've given myself my own solid music education, um, it's sort of been definitely not in a straight line. It's definitely been like zigzagging all over the place. But now, you know, because I have so much experience with piano and voice and I've studied theory quite a lot now, I can sort of pick up any instrument other than ones that require your breath, like the flute or (laughs) any of those like concert wind instruments wind instruments and brass instruments though I did do um two years of clarinet clarinet in middle school but I couldn't I could maybe get one note out now but I have no you gotta work on that armature and then the breath control it's tough yeah but yeah I couldn't tell you like the fingerings or how any of those work but basic piano and stringed instruments I can pick up and sort of figure something out on them Um, pretty easily now maybe not in the classical manner of however the instrument is to be played like I just took a banjo lesson from Nora Brown while I was in France and it was very easy to pick up the left hand side that's the corded side that's playing the melody because that's very much just like the guitar or ukulele or the bass or something but the right hand that's doing this very special thing that is you know singular to the banjo and the style of banjo claw hammer 
that is so counterintuitive to like how I've played everything on guitar or mm. other instruments. So that's very challenging and I'm sure I'll Can work. you explain the difference? Claw hammer, um, it's like this one pattern with your hand and your middle finger or your ring finger, whichever one you choose, is the down stroke. And whereas on guitar, if you're holding a pick or you're, you know, finger picking your thumb is always the down stroke, the down beat. Oh, okay. So like the down stroke is like the finger that you're hitting the down the, beat the, on the string with. Okay. Yeah. And so on claw hammer, you're like hitting with your middle finger. Whoa. And then your thumb is just sort of this thing that is catching the upbeats, but in this like one motion. Is it like the... um. The bum ditties? Yes, bum like ditty. The, the bum exactly. is the finger and the ditty is the thumb? The E. So bum, dit is the strum, E is the thumb. No. It's a three-part movement. Bum, ditty, bum, ditty, bum, ditty, bum, ditty, bum, ditty, bum, yeah. Which finger are you choosing, your middle finger or your ring finger? I did my middle finger. Hell yeah, you did. But it's funny that I'm talking about banjo on this podcast, an instrument I don't really play. And on the hops and spirits, I spoke about fiddle, and he even put it in the the title of my, you know, release. It talks about fiddle. Right. <laughs> I'm not a fiddler, but cool. And you're going to put, Lauren talks about her new album and playing the banjo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's pretty great. But yeah, Claw that's... Hammer banjoist. Yeah. <laughs> Or new claw hammer banjoist as taught From by France. Nora Brown. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's I, I'm a lifelong learner. It's just so fun. Um, and I, with that, I you know, with my own instrument, guitar, which is mainly what I've been playing, I uh, learned like all these different open tunings during the pandemic. And I, I you know, I started learning like a Madison Cunningham song that was an open D, and then I learned a Joni Mitchell song that was an open G and then through that I you know forced myself to write in those open tunings and now it's become like a whole new language on the guitar that's been really super fun and uh, there's a few tunes on this album that are in open tunings um piece of shit is an open tuning um it's a low C open C and then Daggers is an open D, and the opening track, What of the Days, is an open G. Um, so that was a really fun tool for writing, too, because it opens up new, like a new palette. You know, mm. you're like, oh, I've got all these new colors to paint with now. It's That's cool. And so that's that's the fun part of learning is it takes you out of your because when I first started writing songs I barely knew chords on the guitar and I would just find something and and I'd be like ooh that sounds cool and there would be a Balthrop song you know that would become Explode I started mm -hmm. Explode I don't know if you remember that song the Balthrop song it's about the end did of the you, world did you sing yeah, it on, sing today on today is the day that the yes. world is gonna explode yep. <laughs> And that song I wrote um, most of it when I was still in college, and I barely knew how to play. I didn't know what I was playing on the guitar. I just like found things and shapes that I knew, 
And then I would show it to Pascal, and he would be like, oh, that's so cool. And then, you know, he would come up with the actual strumming pattern. That's got to be the best feeling when Pascal would um, sort of, like, affirm your uh, creations as, like, you know, he's, like, your big brother, you know. I mean, adversely, also, it must be, like, entirely heartbreaking when he's like, "Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean... There haven't been times where he was like, I don't think so, but, you know, he, I can tell when he's, like, more into it or not, you know? Oh. He was never, like, yeah. mean-spirited about it or anything, but no. totally. I can't imagine. But there were definite, you know, when I was first writing songs that I, I kind of knew they didn't have a place in Balthrop, Alabama, um, just because they were a completely different feel and melody and wouldn't really work they were like my own love songs Mm. um not that Bothrop doesn't have love songs but yeah it's just it was just like a different feel so I have a couple questions about singing um it seems like of all the instruments you play your voice is very important to you and you consider yourself a vocalist when did you start considering your voice as an instrument when did I think of my voice? Well, my voice was always my instrument from as little as four, you know, before I even had any formal training. Um, I always sang. I was, you know, always the soloist in choir. And a lot of times I would get the singing, the big singing roles in the plays that I auditioned for growing up. Um, so singing was always like first and foremost. Mm my instrument and then when I joined Bothero, I was like I don't want to just be a singer oh I see <laughs> so it was like the opposite so yeah I was talking to um Carolyn Kendrick for the mm. podcast and she, we were talking about how she's like you know she's like oh I don't want to be just a singer you know and then there's this moment where you're like wait singing is an instrument um totally and I do it really well I do. I, I feel like I somewhat did myself a disservice by saying I just I don't want to just be a singer in that band. But I didn't have enough musical experience to really know the power that I was bringing to the stage. And like I think of someone like Rachel Price, who is like just a world Lake Street dive. Yeah. World renowned singer. Um, and she plays instruments, too. But. She's mainly singing in all the things that Mm. she does, you know, and she has an incredible voice. And, yeah, I think singing has such a way of moving people in a way that sometimes, you know, instrumentalists can't quite do the same thing Mm. unless you're like Yo-Yo Ma or... But, yeah, voice has such a way of striking you to the core, I feel like. Like, you can hear, like, one note out of... Billie Holiday or somebody of that era and just be like, all right. Right there in the chest area. (laughs) Yeah. Or in the jowls. Yeah. You feel it right away. Your singing voice is extremely versatile. So I was wondering if we can talk about when or how you learn to use your voice as more than just like singing the melody part, like in terms of like, Harmony, um, you talked about your mom singing harmonies. 
Um, but like even the way that you use your voice in like an atmospheric way, when that started to happen for you and then how did that change your approach or change your relationship with your voice? You know, living in New York and getting called to do backing vocal sessions quite a lot, you're getting asked to bring all these different textures with your voice. And they'll use words like breathy or um, warm, pure, round, and you'll you'll change some quality in your voice to make that sound. And I would also do voiceover stuff and... Like speaking or singing? Both. Singing and mostly like demos here and there. Sometimes I got them. But you're usually being put up... Same thing with acting. Your voice is getting put up against like 50 other people or something and then some random people in a room are choosing which voice they like the best. Great. Um, So it was often like winning the lottery if I actually got one of those. But that playing with texture definitely came from doing that kind of stuff and backing vocalist. And um, singing with my brother, we were just doing like sort of this tandem thing and often like really pushing the edge of our voices because Pascal has such a unique voice Mm. that is nasally and um, almost uh, gritty at po- times, and so I would I would be leaning into that with him, which mm. is kind of the opposite of how I sing on my own records with this sort of like more pure bell-like sort of um, sound that I sing on my own songs. So I sort it's and then like with the girl group. You're just so, it's all about the blend, you know, and like whose voice is who sort of thing. You're just trying to sound like that's the choral stuff is Mm -hmm. when you're in a choir, you're um, just trying to blend. You don't want to stick out unless you're the soloist. So all of that takes part in like what you're doing. It just depends if I'm singing solo or not. And it's interesting. I'm finding that like on this album, there's not a lot of harmony. And I don't know if it's because I'm writing differently. Hmm. There's some freaky voice stuff, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, here and there. But there's like only one song that has true harmony on it, which is Thank You. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. With, yep. Um, and maybe like Get Lost has like these little backing vocals that do just some straight pop harmony stuff. I was texting with you earlier about the song Over in a Moment, mm. and um, I texted texted you that song before like it finished playing. Like It was almost done. I was like, ugh, this song. And then at the end of the song, I started cracking up because it, like, it was like so subtle, but it was like hilarious the way you ended the song because it's like this like beautiful kind of like when you wish upon a star type mm-hmm. of song and then at the end it turns into like act two of a Stephen Sondheim play a little bit where it's like kind of like it's on this like beautiful train and then all of a sudden the train like kind of derails and the song ends before the derailing starts but um I feel like you were doing some really interesting stuff with your voice particularly at the end of that song and so Lauren you and I've known each other for a while and 
you're a very funny person and I have memories of like laughing very easily with you. So how does humor find its way into your singing, into your music, and how does it help your creative process? Humor in my songwriting. Um, well, definitely the first opening line of Piece of Shit is supposed to make you chuckle in a way that once you hear the rest of the song, I'm sure so many people will relate to that line. Like, so many times I'm sure people wake up and they're like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. I was supposed to do that thing and I didn't do it. I was supposed to call my mom. I didn't call her. Oh, I forgot what's in So's birthday. You know, that's why do I feel like a piece of shit all the time is is a humorous line. Um, and one that I hope, you know, brings people in and then they relate to the song. Um mm. It's definitely, you know, heavy feelings of low self-esteem, but also, like, normal. Like, ah, oh, I feel like a piece of shit today. Like, I'm not going to do the work today. I'm done. <laughs> it sounds like you're using humor to connect to people and to, to be relatable. Mm -hmm. In not a humorous way, there's another line that's, you know, draws people in because maybe they'll recognize it as like there's a line in the song you linger um it's in the last verse and um un and uncle john's band is still playing um and i don't know if you know that song but it's a grateful dead mm -hmm. song yeah and uh you know sort of things like that little bits of you know that's a fun song that people love to sing i don't know Mostly I'm just putting my heart on my sleeve in these songs in a way mm. that I can't always do in real life. It's, you know, hard to say some of these things. Yeah. Um, it's easier to sing them in a pretty melody. <laughs> So I've heard you talking about you know, becoming an adult, living life, and having maybe like just the right amount, of, uh, right amount of darkness for someone your age. We were around the same age. However, like you're pretty whimsical. Um, your music has got that fun, fun time whimsy feeling to it. At least the the sound of the music does. And I definitely recall you being like a pretty lighthearted person, like an antics fun time instigator is what you call yourself. Oh, how yeah. do you, how do you stay playful and how have you maintained the lightness and the darkness you find in yourself? Songwriting has definitely helped um, because it's a way for me to release some of that darker stuff. And I think I was listening to one of your episodes with Hannah Reed and she was talking similarly about like my my fierceness and my um happy side comes out in my fiddle tunes but in my songs it's like the more downside and it's very hard to write from the pl playful happy yeah. side and I definitely related to that I was like it's so much easier for me to like write my dark feelings into a song and my dark observations of the world into a song 
than it is to write like don't worry be happy <laughs> it's so hard to write a song like that that like just instantly makes you want to snap your fingers and like sway your hips i i i think it's mm-hmm. hard to, to write songs like that that don't instantly turn people off you know um i feel like i've done that a little bit on this album like what of the days feels like somewhat uplifting song even though it's about leaving behind you know the past um Mm -hmm. and looking back on the past but in sort of an uplifting way and like in life yeah my happy antics comes out that's where it's easier for me to let that stuff go is that just planning planning antics and trips and coercing people to do fun things with me (laughs) It, it's easier for that stuff to come out in uh, day to day than in my songs somehow. Um, on collaborating as a musician, you are someone who lives and thrives in community. So how does collaborating with friends make you a better friend and vice versa? How does being a friend to your collaborators make you a better musician? Yes, obviously, like growing up doing theater that's all about the group effort um and the team and then being in a band with my brother it's all about you know finding the through line with everyone and arranging together and then being in a girl group you know finding who's what part everyone's going to take and when to when to be the leader and when to step back um all those things you learn in collaboration and it's all about that balance. When to take charge, when to step back and go with the flow. Because collaboration, you're not only working together, it's not like a sole vision of one person, you know, it's you're putting two people's visions and you're mashing them together and, you know, seeing what comes. And so it's all about balancing that and balancing personality and ideas and I think of it as like improvisation Um, and if you've ever been in an improv group the famous um, want the biggest rule of improv is always be yes and Mm -hmm. because as soon as you're like no I don't like that shuts down the improv and the same is true for collaboration you have to be open you have to be someone that whoever you're collaborating with, especially if it's somebody you've never collaborated with, you have to be somebody they can trust to share their ideas because it's a very scary place, especially if you've never done it. Um, And I just came from this songwriting retreat where I was writing with a very seasoned collaborator, Celia um, Woodsmith of Delamay. And, uh, you know, it's all about just balancing each other's ideas and then there are other people who are like, I don't want to collaborate. I'm not good at that. That's not my thing. But it's all about yes and, you know, um, and staying open. And I feel like all of that is true of being a friend and being a musician in a band, too. Mm. It's like when to take the lead, when to just follow what somebody's saying. And in friendship, too, it's, you know, like... Yeah. When is it my turn to talk your ear off? And when are you, you going to talk my <laughs> ear off? And we're balancing this. 
and uh, that symbiosis of give and take. That's so cool. Beautiful answer. And I and I I feel like um, what you are saying also aligns pretty well with your passion for learning, like staying open, staying curious. I love it. Um, your two solo albums under your name, Lauren Balthrop, the titles are a sentence. Your debut album was called This Time Around, and the new album is called Things Will Be Different. So this time around, things will be different. The names, uh, according to you, are reflecting change, upheaval, and heartbreak, and you're looking towards the future with hope. But I look at that sentence, this time around, things will be different. It also leaves space for more mistakes. They seem very kind to yourself for like possible regrets. So how do you feel about like that observation and how do you feel about making mistakes? Oh, I feel great about making mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a professional mistake maker. Um, (laughs) Oh my God, and that just made me think of a funny moment, many funny moments in Balthrop, Alabama. When, you know, I was pretty new to playing keyboard in a band and there were so many times on stage, you know, this is where the greatest place to make a mistake because it teaches you so much. (laughs) When you're on stage and you're performing um, and I would hit a wrong note on the keyboard or something like that and I would quickly turn around and it would usually be like Annie Nero or Josh Kaufman behind me and uh, I would be like, did, I hope, did they hear it? Like, did you hear me fart? That sort of thing. <laughs> did, yeah. you sm- did you smell that one? That's <laughs> That sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, you know, mistakes don't feel great in the moment, but they teach you so much, especially in music. And I think performance is the greatest teacher that as well because I've never been a diligent practicer I'm more of a like bounce around and evolving over time each thing will get better and better and better but I'm not going to sit in my room for 10,000 hours straight and work on Mm. one thing I'm not that kind of person and that's an okay place to be but I feel like you learn so much more when you're making mistakes like in front of people <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like even in a friendship like if you make a mistake with them it's like you're gonna work so hard not to make that mistake again if you got called out you know or yeah. work or you know um yeah I think mistakes are our greatest teachers hmm. you wrote the song thank you with my Devitri. And originally, the song was about the stages of grief when you leave a relationship. However, a new meaning formed for you where it's about the relationship you have with your past self, where it's like, oh, I love you, but I also hate you, but I learned so much. Um, And on your album cover, there are two of you, and you say, these ladies represent my past and current self. So many songs on the album began as one thing and started to take on a different meaning. There they are. Which one is the current self? This one. That one? And then Modern this one. Modern chic. If you, and if you look at this one, it's kind of ghostly. Oh. 
Ghost Lauren. Yeah, she's sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, she's not opaque. You can see through her. Translucent? Translucent. Perhaps? Yeah, slightly translucent. Hello. It's kind of hard to see. Well, say one that. of them has like, so the one that it's like basically your hair is like covering you on both sides. Mm-hmm. That's your past ghost self. Yeah. Uh, and then the one with the hair swooped to the side is your current self. Um, but can you talk about how you are feeling about your past selves and also what it was like to find new and different meanings to these songs? So it's a two for one. Yeah. I mean, when we wrote this song, it was like the week before I'd had a really, really hard day um, with leaving behind a past relationship. And uh, it was very traumatic and fresh when I had seen Maya. So I just started telling her about this. And, you know, she has her own past hard relationships to have left behind. And Also, I feel like Maya's like an emotion witch. She can just get you to tell her things. Yeah, she's (laughs) so, she's like a salve, like a witch salve that you're like total witch salve i feel yes i can tell you everything (laughs) um and yeah we got we got into it and yeah this song came out and the more i played it the more it meant to me um i don't know if the same is true for maya but it's it's meant a lot to me um because i feel like i've evolved so much from even my first album to now as a musician um, and having moved to Nashville five years ago and leaving this relationship behind that I had pinned a lot of dreams and hopes on and moving here with that person and having to come out of that and like learn how to be myself because I'm a serial monogamist and I'm I say I'm better in a relationship and in some ways I am because when I'm not in a relationship, I'm like, you know, pining after one. And then I'm spending so much time thinking about that time that I could be spent spending creating and making things. So it's better. Or just like relaxing. Or just relaxing on the couch, <laughs> watching uh, my favorite sitcom. Um, but yeah, it's that song has just come to mean so much more for me upon you know upon playing it over and over again and it feels like a conversation you could have with yourself Mm. you know the chorus is uh one day i loved you one day i hated you one day i believed you the words sounded true someday i'm sorry um someday i'll forgive you and someday i'll thank you when i'm ready to Mm. it's like all of those things you could say to yourself like one yeah. day you love yourself, one day you hate yourself. <laughs> it's it is such a useful song. It's like all encompassing. Because I think when I was going through a really bad breakup, I was like leaning into all these like meditation apps and all these mm. um mindful uh celebrity people and all these quotes and stuff and so I was like what if it's like every love song is like a love song to yourself? Yeah. But this is like a love this is like a realistic love song i feel totally to yourself <laughs> the other thing i should say is that i'm friends with all my exes and i 
I've never held, though it took time to, you know, detach my heart from it. I still felt, I still feel love for all those people that I've been with. Mm. Um, We just weren't right for each other. You know, it's the big picture, the big zoom out. Um, We didn't bring out the best in each other. And that's what you want from the person that you're with. It's just mm, totally that that you feel like you can be your best self with them. Ugh, you are <laughs> spouting a lot of wisdom today. <laughs> I'm gonna get this entire interview printed on a t-shirt, several t-shirts. Um, Please do. Before I let you go, will you do the lightning round? Ooh, the lightning round! I love this round. Okay, here we go. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? I can't remember the name of it, but it's the Jewel. I think it's called Angel Standing Over You or something like that. It's a Jewel song from her first Mm. album, Pieces of You, and it has harmonics on the guitar. I don't know if you know what this is, but I was very pleased with myself for learning this song amongst other jewel songs at the time because i was self-teaching myself and i you uh-huh. know, learned it from a tab guitartabs.com you print which, it out yeah totally on your inkjet it was that and then blackbird by the beatles classic uh what is your karaoke song when i was a girl it was it's my party by leslie gore <laughs> And now it's crazy on you by heart. Ooh. Uh, who is your first celebrity crush? Jared Leto, My So-Called Life. Mm. Yeah, very that handsome. That and, a, and a very very funny one was Prince William. Oh, my God. Me too? <laughs> kind I of. I loved Prince William. <laughs> yeah, you like, cut his picture out. I totally forgot that I like would cut his picture out of like People magazine. Prince William. <laughs> What's wrong with us? I know. <laughs> oh my god. It's so weird. Like, I'm going to marry a prince. That's what I was yeah. thinking when I was, you know, 10 or 11 years old. Well, Disney would have you believe. Yeah. Okay. Lauren, this is the last question. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? It's a really hard thing between, like, last year's trip to Spain and this year's trip to Italy. Mmm. Um, the beaches there were both amazing. And just the street, I just love European um, streets and tiny streets. I love tiny streets. Oh yeah. Tiny cobblestone streets that you could get lost in. But Question. the like man-made thing, most beautiful thing I was going to say was La Sagrada Familia, which is in Barcelona. You Ooh, ever been? Yeah. Is that the? It's the Gaudi Cathedral. Gaudi. Uh, my wife has been, and it's, I feel like I've been because she's it's been. It's so astonishing. It's mind-blowing, quite. And I'm not a religious person. You know, I grew up Catholic, but I don't go to church. And But this, yeah. churches, man, they put so much money and time and effort yeah, for into a building while, that these was the incredible only... places. Yeah. They're just incredible. Spaces, too, for sound. Sorry, those are the, th- that's it. Beaches in Italy and Spain and La Sagrada Familia. Tiny streets. That's a good one. <laughs> a good one. <laughs> that's more than one answer. Uh, I'm not good at answering with one thing. That's totally fine because um, 
we accept more than one answer during the lightning round. Don't you okay. worry about that. Great. Yeah. I love the lightning round. Yeah. So um, this completes the lightning round, and uh, we are at the end of the interview. Lauren Balthrop, the new album, Things Will Be Different. This is so nice to talk to you. I feel like uh, I feel very um, affirmed in my life, and I also feel like that much wiser after talking to you. It's been wonderful. Aw, it's been so nice to spend time with you. Today's episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find us there wherever you get podcasts. Search the SiriusXM app for Basic Folk. You can also find him on our website, basicfolk.com, or wherever you get podcasts. All right, thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.